During this holiday season, we're using our favorite Christmas hymns as a springboard into some important themes of Advent and going straight to the Bible to rejoice in the reality that Jesus has come and He is coming again. Let heaven and nature sing. These are the songs of Advent, and we are Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. We're going to go through a series of Advent hymns. That's our first. I wanted us to hear some of the lyrics of that song, kind of set the tone for what we're going to talk about. Today, come thou long expected Jesus. Let's talk about that word expectations for a second. Expectations are a powerful thing. They can be a very good thing, but I think we tend to recognize the power of our expectations most when they're left unmet, when they're left unfulfilled, right? Uh, maybe you experienced that this, this very week. As my wife and I were talking about the content of the sermon, she said, sometimes we don't even know what our expectations are, per se, until they're left unmet. We find ourselves agitated, frustrated, angry. Why? Because something didn't come and work out the way that it was supposed to. So those expectations push up against us. The holidays are always good for challenging our expectations. Are they not? I mean, we wanted this Thanksgiving week to look a certain way, feel a certain way, be a certain way, and, and then the kids got sick or got a fight with your spouse. Somebody brought up a hot-button topic at dinner and it turned into a fight or you forgot to thaw the turkey, right? I mean... Your kids were jerks, and then I was a jerk to them in return. I'm just telling you about my week, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Expectations can be a powerful, powerful thing. Or maybe to frame this up, it might be better for you to, to think of the word longings. Not expectations, but longings. They're similar. Maybe the holiday felt empty this year because someone wasn't there, right? It's laced with joy and pain. You long for someone to be there or something to be so, and it just isn't. Longings, expectations, longings left unfulfilled, expectations left unfulfilled met. I'm sure many of you feel what I'm saying. The people of God felt what I'm saying. The first 39 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, is a story of people waiting, 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 waiting for the Messiah to show up. Longing for promises to be fulfilled. Dealing with their expectations of of those Promises that go unmet for thousands and thousands of years. They understood. See, Advent means coming. Advent means arrival. And they were waiting on the arrival of the Messiah. They, know, they knew what it was to long and to wait 
for something. Filled with expectation. But know this today. The only place, and this is what I want us to see, the only place that your expectations are safe, the only place that your longings are safe is when they line up with the promises of God in Jesus. In the whole big long story of the Bible, we're going to read the whole book today. (laughs) Not really, but we're going to flex these pages. We're going to trace the theme of the waiting is a story of waiting, hoping, expecting, longing. And it's through Jesus that our hopes can be fulfilled. It's through Jesus that our longings and our expectations can be met. And so that's the only place that they are safe. Father, today, meet us where we are in places of longing, in places of expectation, uh, expectations possibly unmet, longings unfulfilled, and what we know not, please teach us. And what we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The people of God had expectations. I want us to see those in four kind of big buckets, although you could really parse this out even, even more. But they had an expectation of freedom. In particular, freedom from sin. Remember the story I told you we'd start in the beginning. Genesis, Adam and Eve are placed in the garden and and given everything they need for joy and and happiness. But they make a mess of it pretty quick, right? They they go for the fruit that God told them not to. And sin enters in the world like a wrecking ball. Destroys everything. Really, immediately, they feel the effects of sin right off the bat. And into that mess that they've made for themselves, Jesus comes on the scene, or God comes on the scene and makes a promise concerning Jesus. This is the first gospel in the Bible. There's a fancy way to say that for those who are in seminary, but I'm not going to say it that way because I'll just mess it up because I'm from West Virginia. The first gospel, God makes a promise about Jesus in Genesis 3.15. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Here's the promise. He, the offspring of the woman, the descendant of Eve, will bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. That's a promise of freedom from sin right there. That's the promise of someone who will come who will crush the serpent, the snake crusher who will bring freedom from sin, who will take the curse and reverse it. That's the promise. And that was the hope of the people of God. They weren't stupid. They read that in Moses' writing of the book of Genesis. And there was hope, expectation that came with that. It's a promise of freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. The curse reversed. But 3,000 years later, still nothing. Imagine that. 3,000 years go by and another prophet comes on the scene. His name is Isaiah. And he says God ain't forgotten about His promise. You've been waiting 3,000 years for the snake crusher. The one who will set you free from sin, but don't quit hoping, don't quit longing. Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy about Jesus that's spoken of as if it's already happened. That's what I love about some of Isaiah's prophecies. 
He prophesies the future as if it's already happened. He says in verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord, he's talking about the cross, to crush him. He has put him to grief. He's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. It was God's will that Jesus die on the cross because when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, this is the good news, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. He'll reverse the curse. He'll carry the sin. He'll pay the price. He'll, he'll do the work required for you to be set free from sin. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion, a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many, yours and mine. Not to mention all the sins of, of those who would believe in him for thousands of years in front of us and makes intercession for the transgressors. The promise of freedom from sin. Not just the promise of freedom, but an expectation of victory. You remember uh, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These are the patriarchs of of Scripture. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. One of them has the Dolly Parton jacket, the coat of many colors, He gets sold into slavery. He is in Egypt. God turns his story on its head with his providence. And he becomes someone who rescues people from famine all over that area of the world, including his own family. Long story short, the whole family moves to a little area called Goshen near Egypt. And they live out their days there. And when Jacob is about to die, he inspired by God, makes promises to all of his boys. And when he gets to Judah, the son named Judah, he says this in verse 10 of Genesis 49, the the scepter, that's a sign of royalty, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He's saying from your son Jacob, your son named Judah, there will come a kingdom. A lasting kingdom. If you go to 2 Samuel, you see this promise restated to David, the shepherd king. It's Saul, who was reigned in, in Israel, their first king, and then David. One of their best kings. But he makes a mess of things too. It turns out he's not that promised king of the line of Judah. He's of the line of Judah. He's come from the line of that boy, Jacob's son, Judah. But he's not the lasting king. And as he's getting ready to die, God restates the promise of of victory for the people of God. Chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, verse 12, he says to David, when you're through the prophet Nathan, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you. He shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits, or it should say carries iniquities, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. That's a a prophecy of the death of, of Jesus. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. 
as I took it from Saul. Remember, Saul loses the kingdom. He says, um, whom I put away from me. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Again, think about this for a second already. Sin, enslaving people, right? You've experienced that, the, the power of sin in your own life making a mess of things, or other people's sins against you. The promise of freedom from that sin is something worth longing for. Having victory over your opponents, your enemies in your life, is something worth longing for. And the people of God were longing for those two things. Additionally, they were longing for all the nations of the world to be blessed. Abraham had a promise made to him by God as well. Chapter 12 of Genesis, God says to him, I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, Abraham, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Wouldn't it be nice to be someone who, who is seen as bringing blessing to the whole world, but yet, all through the Old Testament, Israel is frequently seen as a pariah. They're hated by all those surrounding them. They're still longing for that promise to come true. Another promise he makes is His presence. God promises that He'll be present with His people. Remember Adam and Eve, before sin, they walked in the garden with God. They talked with Him. He was present with them. But that didn't last very long. Remember when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they follow a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and then they build a tent a tabernacle and God comes and dwells with them in the middle of the camp but it doesn't take long for them to make a mess out of that either but Isaiah makes this promise Isaiah says I gotta find it these markers are letting me down Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 behold Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We just sang about her and shall call his name Emmanuel. The promise is in the name God with us. So all of that work that we just did flipping through all of these scripture passages is to put us in a place of understanding that God had always promised his people freedom from sin. God had always promised His people victory over their enemies. God had always promised His people that they would be a blessing to the nations. And God had always promised His people that He would be present with them. But when you get to the end of the Old Testament, all this history, all this time of waiting, things don't look very good. Now to get this, you have to understand that 2 Chronicles came at the end of the Jewish Old Testament or the Jewish Scriptures in Jesus' day. Like when you would read through 2 Chronicles, those of you that don't know, comes way earlier in the Old Testament when you read it in your English Bible. But in the Jewish Bible, it was the very last book of the Bible. So you read all these promises, you read all of this hope, you have all of this expectation of a Messiah coming through Judah, and when you get to the end of Second Chronicles, which has focused exclusively on the kingdom of Judah, the tribe of Judah, the city, capital city Jerusalem is on fire. 
all the people are being taken off into bondage uh, and removed, and there's no king on the throne. Their expectations are left unmet. Their longings left unfulfilled, and if you know, then the prophets are silent for 400 years before Jesus ever gets there. Hear me today. I don't know where you're at in your longings, your unfulfilled longings, and your unmet expectations. But God's promises are true, and He proves it through Jesus. 2 Peter, or 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25. Come thou long-expected snake crusher. That's who comes. That's whose birth we're celebrating. Is the birth of the fulfillment of that promise. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. The curse reverser was born. In a manger, we celebrate his birth in this season. Jesus is proof that God keeps his promises. Come thou long-expected king of the world, uh, Judah's royalty. If you go back to Matthew chapter 1, when they start the genealogy of Jesus, look how they talk about in the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That, that root of Jesse, that, that promised son of David for the throne, that eternal throne, is, is Jesus. Come that long-expected blessing to the nations. Matthew 28, Jesus is about to depart and return to heaven. And what does he say? Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The born, perfect, dying, risen, ascending Jesus is the hope of the nations. Come thou long expected God with us. Matthew chapter 1 again. The angel comes to Joseph. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, there's no kids in here, right? That's that's before they biblically came together. She was found to be with child. Mary got knocked up. That's what Joseph thought. That's honestly what he thought. It was from the Holy Spirit. It was supernatural. But Joseph didn't know that. So verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, she cheated on him, but he's going to be a nice guy anyway. He resolved to divorce her quietly. He had the right to do that. He's going to do it not publicly. He's going to do it privately. But as he's thinking about that, As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She ain't lying. It's true. 
She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill. (laughs) He points back what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I love the, the Jesus storybook Bible. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up, wrapped Jesus up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. But here's the thing, right? In the midst of our unmet expectations, in the midst of our longings, in the midst of of our longings that are unfulfilled, we can intellectually grasp, yeah, Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises. I get that. And so in some way, I can can adjust my way of thinking and say, I can believe God's promises. Okay, I, I, I get that. Right? We can... Know that Jesus proves that God can be trusted, but everything's still a mess, right? If we're honest, not everything, but a lot of things are still a mess. The hardest part of trusting the promise maker is trusting the process. The hardest part of trusting the promise maker is trusting the process. Trust the process. You see, the first advent isn't the only advent. There's a second one coming. Advent means coming. Jesus came. And he's coming again. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand, this is John, the disciple of Jesus. He wrote the gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, three little letters that appear in the New Testament, and he writes revelation. He's caught up into a vision of things to come, and he writes those things down while he's in exile on the island of Patmos. And he sees this vision in chapter 5. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who's seated on the throne, God the Father, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And you can tell really quickly that in that scroll are the words of Longings being fulfilled and expectations being met. They're desperate to see that scroll opened. Everyone is. And I saw a strong angel, and I love that John includes that. They probably brought him along. Yeah, he's got, this angel's got the biggest muscles. If anybody can open the scroll, it's going to be him, right? This guy's ripped. No. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And watch John's response. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. You see that? They taste that in that scroll is the fulfillment of of their deepest longings, that in that scroll, those words, there's something about them that will fulfill their deepest expectations, but it can't be opened. And John weeps. Do you feel that? (laughs) 
God, you promised. You promised freedom from sin for me. But yet, I still struggle with it every day. Not just my own sin, but the sins of others against me. What gives? God, you promised that you'd set everything right as king of the world, absolute victory through the line of David, but yet the world's a mess. War and sex trafficking and starvation and disease and political tensions and racism. And and have you watched the news lately? The world's a mess. What gives? God, you promised blessings for the nations, but still... There are peoples in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. What gives? Where are you at with the promises? God, you promised to be present with me. You would dwell with us. I feel alone. Even this week, as I sat at the Thanksgiving table with my family, right? I felt something missing. I felt alone. Longing, unmet expectations, and we weep, and we should weep. Those things are painful. As you look around the world, or the world around you, and as you look at your own life, there should be a sense of unmet expectations, unfulfilled longings. And we weep. But there will be a second advent. The first advent is the seal and the guarantee that the second advent is coming. You see, chapter 5 continues. Then one of the elders, verse 5, walks up to John and says to him, Weep no more. Behold, the lion, the royal son, the root of Jesse, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne... And the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain because he had been slain. For freedom from sin, he had carried your sin and been slain on the cross with seven horns and seven eyes. There are the seven spirits of of God sent out into all the earth. And you're just going to have to not know what that means because I don't know what it means either. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed a people for God. By your blood, you set people free from sin. The promise of freedom will have been brought to full fruition on that day. The throne will be occupied forever by the lineage of David on that day. And where are the people from? Every tribe and language and people and nation. A blessing for all the nations will be fulfilled on that day and they shall reign on the earth, they shall be, have been a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders 
And the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. Four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. And in that same day, this reality, Revelation 21, and I saw the holy city, it's the second advent. Hey, you think the shepherds were jacked? I don't know if y'all are putting yourself in the scene yet. I, I, I don't know, like, if, if you can imagine the disciples as they realize Jesus is here, right? Like, how they responded internally. Wait till you see the new Jerusalem coming down out of the sky. Your eternal dwelling place with God. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, right? Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, Emmanuel, God with us. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And get this, those tears of your unmet expectations, the pain of your unmet longings, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Second advent. Jesus has come. He's coming again. Now, I can't make you excited about that. I wish I could. That makes me want to run through a wall. I'm serious. That's as real to me as this box right here. I'm serious. There's hope in your unmet expectations. There's hope in your unfulfilled longings. The Jesus who came and and was in a manger, that cute, tiny little baby is going to hop on a white horse. He's going to have King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed on his thigh. That's in the Bible. He's going to conquer. He's going to reign and he's going to rule. And if you belong to him, you're going to reign with him forever. There's hope. So this Christmas, remember, Jesus has come. Yes, celebrate it. Also, he's coming again when you hear the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Hear it both as a celebration that he came, but also hear it with hope that he's coming again. There will be a second advent. And knowing that his first advent, in his first advent, Jesus proved that the promise maker can be trusted So we can sit in our unfulfilled longings, our unmet expectations with hope. Because at his second advent, he will make all things new. If you're not a Christian, those promises are not yet for you, but they can be. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is simple. That's Acts 16.31. Believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that he was dead, buried, and raised from the dead on behalf of sinners like me and sinners like you, and you'll be saved. If you have any questions about 
what it means to be a Christian. I will I would love today, this very day, to settle that, to talk with you about that. And if you are a Christian, the only place your expectations, your longings are safe are when they line up with the promises of God in Jesus. It's already, but not yet. But it's more sure than the rising of the sun. Jesus came, he's coming again. So what are your unmet expectations? Like, really think about it. Do the hard work. What are your unmet expectations? What are your unmet, unfulfilled longings that you have in your life right now? Maybe write those down this week. If that's the way you process your thoughts, I don't know. And through the reality of the first advent and the hope of the second advent, what is Jesus saying to you right now about your unmet expectations and your unfulfilled? That's why we take this awkward, after I pray, 120 seconds before we celebrate communion. This might be the quietest two minutes of your entire week. Don't waste it. Music's going to play. We're going to sit here, and it's an opportunity for you to hear the voice of Jesus. What is he saying to you today in the midst of your unmet longings, your unfulfilled expectations? Father, By your good grace, reveal to your people, speak to your people right now. Draw them close, those who feel distant. Whisper to those, those who feel that you're silent. Show yourself powerful to your children. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.